speak There's a wall between us And a river so deep We keep pretending That there's nothing wrong There's a code of silence And it can't go on Hi folks, I am Alan Watts and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on August the 3rd, 2009. Newcomers, we can take CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com website. And on the front page, if you scroll down, you'll see all the other sites I have up. Bookmark them for future use in case the big servers go down again. Happened in the past. And you have a whole choice to, to choose from, actually, where you want to get your audios from and download from. Uh, if you get problems initially downloading from the comm site, try one of the other ones because the comm is the most popular and you have thousands of people trying at the same time to download the same shows. That's why it sometimes sticks. So you have a variety to choose from. Just cuttingthrough.jenkins.com, cuttingthroughthematrix.net.us.ca. There's Alan Watt, cuttingthroughthematrix.ca. And there's also Alan Watt, sentinel.eu. That last one is the European site, and it also has the audios, plus it has transcripts of, of these audios written in the various languages of Europe. And while I'm on the subject of transcripts, those who want to try their hands at um, transcribing in their own tongue uh, from the English, which I can put up there, uh, give me a call at alanwattcuttingthrough at yahoo.com, and we'll see what we can do. Now remember, this is probably one of the only shows out there where the host um, is brought to you by the listeners. Now thousands and thousands listen for free. That's the society we live in today. And it's always the same people who donate time after time. So I'm asking people to try and chip in and help me get over one of life's big, big bumps, as we say. I certainly need your help. So you can donate to me, look into the website, you'll see PayPal, PayPal buttons there. And you can also buy that for which I have for sale on the website, the books and discs and so on. That keeps me ticking over, and believe me, it's just ticking over. I don't ask for money from the shows or the advertisers. That's where most money comes from. The ads on the show go right to RBN. Not, I have nothing to do with it. And uh, that pays for the airtime. That pays for the equipment and the technicians and so on. So it's up to you. It's up to you if you want to get some alternate news about what's really happening in the world. As I say, this show here has changed the whole course of Patriot Radio by filling in the big picture to those people who were stuck navel-gazing at their own little country, never realizing this was happening across the planet. We were already global a long time ago. And that which they have planned for us, through free trade and all the rest of it, and depopulation programs, which they're now openly, ta- openly talking about. Uh, I, I, we were the first to come out on this show and start all this off, eugenics, etc. And luckily, other hosts have picked up on this and pushed it and pushed it, so more and more people are, are getting the bigger picture, and that's so important. So as I say, it's up to you if you want to keep me going, because it's a lot more I can go ahead with. I have a lot of stuff here I've never mentioned on the air sometimes I, I have stuff here where I debate where to put tell you on the air 
uh, because there's a lot of frightening stuff there. And I go to the sources. I don't get the paranoid sites out there. I go to the sources. And people like to pass me stuff from inside institutions and so on. And it really is scary because what we're talking about is true. There's no guessing about this. We are treated like children. We're fed news fairy stories like children because there's a big plan at work. And if they tell the children what they're doing to them and what they plan to do with them, they'd be very, very upset. So we, we get Michael Jackson and trivia and Hollywood stars, but we certainly don't get the truth. So that's what this show is all about, is breaking through and cutting through the matrix to show you all the other compartments and how they work together. I'll be back with more after the following break. Alan Watt, and this is Cutting Through the Matrix. The big picture is not pretty at all, because I've gone through the histories of the big foundations, the parallel governments that run the world. It's one parallel government, really one, really, above the ones that you think you elect. Many of the members come in and out of the foundations, and into politics, and then back into the foundations again or else they rotate from foundations to politics to CEOs of corporations. and It's a musical chair scenario. And the biggest corporations on the planet have their people on the right boards in all countries, like the Food and Drug Administration, etc. They make sure they're well-stocked with people who worked with these big corporations. They make sure that certain laws are passed to get certain products on the market. That's been well-documented in the past as well. And whenever the government tells us they're looking into something or they're withdrawing something, you can't believe them when it's, it, it has a bad health effect on the public. You've got to really check up and, and follow everything up. And the bisphenol, basically, has been neutering so many people and creating a whole new breed of males, a different type of male, mind you. And I've gone through the history of that, how it affects the fetus in the womb, between the ages of 8 and 12 weeks and how it's in cosmetics it's in the soft drinks it's in everything it's in the plastic bottles as well and supposedly Canada had bandits and so on well here's an article from Science News by Janet Raloff and uh, this is a, a web edition of this particular article and it's from the Winnipeg, Winnipeg Free Press which has reported some disturbing news today. Tests by the Canadian government, it said, have found that some plastics labelled as being free from bisphenol A, an estrogen-mimicking chemical, actually contains the potentially toxic substance. So here they are putting labels on them, saying they're free, and independent testing has shown the stuff's there. CanWest News Service unearthed the new government data, along with correspondence from government researchers, through the use of the Access to Information Act, the Canadian equivalent of the Freedom Information Act. Animal studies have demonstrated a host of deleterious effects from ingestion of BPA, the basic building block of polycarbonate plastics, and human studies have confirmed that the use of polycarbonates, foodware, containers, releases, BPA, 
countries have passed ordinances to ban sales of polycarbonate food where that might be used by children. Last year, Canada became the first nation to announce it would ban polycarbonate baby bottles over concerns about BPA health risks. Almost immediately, a host of polycarbonate alternatives labelled BPA-free began springing up in the marketplace. Right away, you see. And here's what it says. Health Canada researchers were attempting to confirm that these alternatives were indeed BPA-free. Of the nine brands of baby bottles it tested, two hosted the hormone mimic. Canada West Sarah Schmidt reports the name of each brand was blacked out to the materials that had been turned over to Canada West. So they're lying again. They they label these ones as being free from BPA and independent tests show that they're still high. It says here, the name of each brand was blacked out in the material that had been turned over to Can West. According to Smith's account, the study traces of the toxin were found in BPA-free bottles, while internal correspondence between a department official and the lead scientist went further, characterizing the amounts of the two brands as high readings. It's no surprise how BPA gets into polycarbonate foodware. <clears throat> the plastic consists of BPA molecules, that have been chemically linked into long chains. However, some of the BPA feedstock never get bound up into these polymeric chains, which means it's free to leach into food and beverages that later make contact with the plastic. The polymers can also break down when the past the plastic is heated, such as by introducing hot foods, running polycarbonate materials through a dishwasher, even the top rack, or microwaving materials in this plastic one hint that this breakdown has started polycarbonates from a crystal clear appearance takes on a distinctive a cracking or clack, crackling look. And it's, it's often very vertical, these tiny little scratches it seems to be. The big question, Mark, one that isn't answered by Health Canada data, why is BPA uh, now showing up in plastic whose recipe doesn't include this feedstock? The supposition is that it must be due to some type of cross-contamination in the production of facilities. And whether the amount of BPE that Health Canada turned up is especially worrisome remains to be seen. The Canadian press accounts don't give the values, but regardless of how much there is, the presence of this toxicant in labels or, or bottles labeled free of it constitutes fraud. Then it goes in to say what they, they did, they phoned Health Canada and so on and so on. And they're waiting to hear back, <clears throat> of course. So it's a must-be, these kind of things. That's why they've been using it for so many years. It's a must-be. They want a sort of neutered population, especially in the males, because it, what's coming up for the near future has already been planned, and they want guys that are sort of laid back, if you know what I mean, kind of laid back and take things easy. Quite something, isn't it? But here's some good news here. And this is from the University of Minnesota. The UM News banner graphic is called. And I've talked before about melamine. It was a fantastic idea, you see. The, the big European conglomerates, along with the American conglomerate for creating melamine, this is a plastic compound. Um, and they were putting in food, especially baby foods and stuff, for bulk. It's the same stuff your countertop made of, you see, that heat-resistant plastic stuff. And here they are, they managed to get the FDA to, to classify it as a food by saying, well, isn't that molecule there simple? If it's moved it over to this side here, couldn't that be technically, you know, with a stretch like, 
they're technically classed as a protein. And bingo, they passed it as a protein, and so they put this junk into baby food and stuff, and pet food as well. They also use it in milk when they've watered down milk and removed protein for other products. Then they, they make it all whitey by adding melamine. It killed a lot of people in China uh, just uh, last year. I read it from the, the different newspapers about that event as well. And the big companies were involved, like Nestle and so on. All the biggies, you know, are the big ones we love so much. But hey, morality walks when the dollar talks, doesn't it? Big profit. And so this is what it says here from the University of Minnesota News. New test kit detects deadly chemical in infant formula. It tests for melamine, a chemical linked to human and pet deaths. It says, a new test kit based on university research detects melamine, a chemical that's killed children when added to infant formula by Dean Morrison. Last year, six Chinese children died and 150,000 were hospitalized after drinking infant formula tainted with melamine, a cheap chemical that masquerades as protein when added to food products. But now a new test kit for the chemical will help protect human and pet health. The kit utilizes an enzyme discovered and supplied by University of Minnesota researchers that quickly produces a color change in samples of melamine-laced milk, powdered milk, cream, and other food products. The kit will soon be field-tested by BI00 Scientific, a Texas-based company specializing in food safety testing. The test kit answers a call from the World Health Organization for a simple, inexpensive means of detecting melamine in foods, formula, and other liquids. I'm sure the WHO will be finding a way to get around the testing and so it won't change color, because they certainly want us depopulated. It says here, if a sample has a lot of melamine, you would see a blue color in a second, said Lawrence Wackett, professor at the university's Biotechnology Institute. But if you want to measure the quantity of melamine, you let it react for half an hour for full color development. Traditional detection required expensive equipment and a few days turnarounds. This test is specific for melamine, like it adds, will most likely be used in China and other Asian countries where BI00 Scientific does a lot of business. We help the company by providing the enzyme and expertise, says Wakit. So that's some good news that uh, at least some companies and universities are working on ways to detect the poisons that are put in our food. I wish they'd do the same with the pesticides that everything's soaked with now because of Monsanto and their GMO veggies and fruit and coffee and all those other things you take pretty well daily. I'm really looking forward to a test kit for that, Liam. And Another article here is to do with, there's so much about the flu, this incredible thing about the flu. Now, I, I have a link here. I put all these links, these articles up on my website, cuttingthroughmatrix.com. Scroll down, look for today's show on the front page, and you'll see the links, too, to all the topics. But when I put up tonight, um, it was an old, an old, uh, CBS expose of the last swine flu farce. I'll put that link up there. It's worth watching as to, as to how that one was pulled off because I think Mike Wallace is in it and he, he goes through it and how it was a farce and how one man at the top of the CDC decided to go ahead with all these injections even though he knew the stuff, these injections hadn't been 
tried and tested on on anything really at all. And he would he would he, this one person had the sole decision to to decide to the go ahead and vaccinate everybody with this stuff. And hundreds came down paralysed. You actually see on this documentary some of the people who did come down paralysed. And you'll hear them talking about it, how the government had utterly conned them and lied to them with their propaganda. Remember, only one person came down with it. And even that's debatable. And he was a soldier at Fort Dix. Nobody else did. Back with more after this break. how the media get handouts given to them by experts and they parrot everything verbatim from the experts uh, meanwhile the media has so much access far more than we do to data and records even in their own departments of previous vaccines and so on and pharmacies why would they be going gung-ho along with the government's formats to, to, to terrify us into getting this Supposed, and I don't believe it is uh, a bird flu vaccine. And that's what they're going to give a bird flu, not the bird swine flu. The bird flu one, apparently, is what they're talking about. With the hope that uh, under the, the new theory that you might you might just get crossover protection, which is utter nonsense, because if you had crossover protection from any flu shot, or even getting the flu once, you'd have crossover protection against all varieties of flu. But that logic doesn't matter when it comes to coin games. This article here I read last year, but I'll read it again, and it's from The Telegraph, to do with what happened in Poland once they had tried out uh, the test flu vaccine there. It says, homeless people die after bird flu vaccine trial in Poland. Three Polish doctors and six nurses are facing criminal prosecution after a number of homeless people died following medical trials for a vaccine to the H5N1 bird flu virus. This was the, the 2nd of July, 2008. There's been other ones I've read since then on the same topic. A lot more people now have been charged. It says the medical staff from the northern town of Grudziadz are being investigated over medical trials on as many as 350 homeless and poor people last year, which prosecutors say involved an untried vaccine to the highly contagious virus. Authorities claim that the alleged victims received, received one to two pounds each. Oh boy, what a deal, eh? Homeless people, that's a lot of money to them. To be tested with what they thought was a conventional flu vaccine, that's what they were told, but according to investigators, was actually an anti-bird flu drug. Director of Grudziad's homeless center, Mikzes Law uh, Waklowski, told a Polish newspaper that last year 21 people from his center died. A figure well above the average, about eight. Although authorities have yet to prove a direct link between the deaths and activities of the medical staff, Poland's Minister of Health, Ewa Kopas, has said that the doctors and nurses involved should not return to their profession. It's in the interest of all doctors that those who are responsible for this are punished, the minister added. 
Investigators are also probing the possibility that the medical staff may also have deceived the pharmaceutical companies that commissioned the trials. A later, a later version of that reversed that whole thing. The, pharm- the pharma companies had deceived the nurses and staff. The suspect said that all, the, all those involved knew that the trial involved an anti-H5N1 drug and willingly participated. The news of investigation will come as another blow to the reputation of Poland's beleaguered and poverty-stricken National Health Service. In 2002, a number of ambulance medics were found guilty, listen to this, of killing their patients for commissions from funeral companies. That's where we're sinking, you see. When you dehumanize society, to the extent it's been dehumanized, when all morality's been kicked out the window because everything's relative, right? That's the modern liberal, everything's relative. There's no right and wrong. Cabalistic, you see. Then this is a society you end up with where ambulance medics kill their patients for commissions from funeral companies. Or if that happens here, yes, yeah, it probably does. I wouldn't be surprised at all, to be honest with you. At all. Now, here's an article from Scientific American. It says here, August 2009, do seed companies control GM crop research? Scientists must ask corporations for permission before publishing independent research on genetically modified crops. That restriction must end. Isn't that amazing control? So no one can come in and research your products to see if it's safe. If they refuse permission, you see. It says, advances in agricultural technology, including but not limited to the genetic modification of food crops, have made fields more productive than ever. It's not true. Farmers grew more, grew more crops and feed more people using less land. Actually, they have one-third less crops. Since they are able to use fewer pesticides and to reduce the amount of tilling that leads to erosion, and within the next two years, agritech companies plan to introduce advanced crops that are designed to survive heat waves and droughts, resilient characteristics that will become increasingly important in a world market by a changing climate. <laughs> Everybody believes that. Unfortunately, it's impossible to verify that genetically modified crops perform, perform as advertised. That's because agritech companies have given themselves and themselves only veto power over the work of independent researchers so you're left with the propaganda you see to purchase genetically modified seeds a customer sign an agreement that limits what can be done with them so buying a, a shovel or a spade for the garden and say well you can dig in sand but you can't use it in, in, in soil no. and you can't use it on a Tuesday it says, if you've installed software recently, you'll recognize the concept of the end-user agreement. Agreements are considered necessary to protect a company's intellectual property. I'd say so too, except they're feeding this rubbish to us. And it's poisonous. And so we have a right to have to bypass that for our own safety, I would think. But mind you, there's so much money passing hands in Congress to do with this in Monsanto. I don't think it will come back with more after this break. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth.
out the modified veggies and the companies that own them, apparently, from Scientific American magazine. It says here uh, that, uh, that agri-tech companies such as Monsanto, Pioneer, and Syngento go further. For a decade, that's 10 years, their user agreements have explicitly forbidden the use of the seeds for any independent research. But they could also not be. Under the threat of litigation, scientists cannot test a seed to, to explore the different conditions under which it thrives or fails. They cannot compare seeds from one company against those from another company. And perhaps more important, they cannot examine whether the genetically modified crops lead to unintended environmental side effects, like killing people maybe. Also not, eh? So where does all the info on, on this come from? on this kind of uh, modified seed and so on. From these very corporations, that's who this propaganda, basically, agents, that's where all the information comes from. It's the same with all the data on the inoculations that comes from the big pharma that makes them. It's the same with the melamine I was talking about. You know who advises the European Union on the use of melamine and, and the safety in food products? the European Association of Melamine Manufacturers. That's where it all comes from. So what's the point in having all these FDAs and so What's all the point in having these supposed government uh, checkers that uh, check things? If they don't check, they just take the word of the big corporations that want to put it in their food or inject it into us or whatever the heck they want to do. Is it just pure corruption at the top? Money passing hands? Is that all there is to it? This is a research on genetically modified seed is still published, of course, but only studies that the seed companies have approved ever see the light of a peer-reviewed journal. In a number of cases, experiments that had the implicit go-ahead from the seed company were later blocked from publication because the results were not flattering. So if you don't flatter them and say it's wonderful, you get blocked. It is important to understand that this is not always simply a matter of blanket denial of all research requests, which is bad enough, wrote Nelson Jai Shields, an entomologist at Cornell University, in a letter to an official at an environmental protection agency. But selective denials and permissions based on industry perceptions of how friendly or hostile a particular scientist may be towards seed-enhancing technology. Shields is a spokesman for a group of 24 corn insect scientists that opposes these practices because the scientists rely on the cooperation of the companies for the research. They must, after all, gain access to the seeds for studies. Most have chosen to remain anonymous for fear of reprisal. Imagine being a tariff. This is what we're living today, you know. Fear of these big, big bully boys that have tremendous wealth, tremendous power, massive lobby groups, how can you get fairness in, in, in politics when these guys can dish out so much dough or threats, one or the other? This is the group has submitted a statement to the EPA protesting that as a result of restricted access, no truly independent research can be legally conducted on many critical questions regarding the technology. It would be chilling enough if any other type of company were able to prevent independent researchers from testing its wares and reporting what they find. Imagine car companies trying to quash head-to-head model comparisons done by Consumer Reports, for example. 
but when scientists are prevented from examining the raw ingredients in our nation's food supply or from testing the plant material that covers a large portion of the country's agricultural land, the restrictions on free inquiry become dangerous. Although we appreciate the need to protect intellectual property rights that have spurred the investments in the research and development that have led to agrotech's successes, we also believe food safety and environmental protection depend on making plant products. Basically, uh, to be able to under scrutiny and be available to the public. I'd say so, because we're all eating this stuff, you know, and they won't label it up here. So if they want us to eat the darn stuff, we should have access to it, and scientists should be able to go ahead. I mean, this, is some, this isn't something you can pick or, or leave, choose or, or leave. This is something that's been pushed from your governments onwards onto us, as it must be. So I think they owe us at least the fact that they look into it and make this stuff available for independent scientific testing. I'd love to know the real reports on how much pesticides you can consume before your, your stomach is cancered all out, for instance. And they know this actually happens with them too, by the way. They knew that from the beginning, even with the mice and so on they tested. It's no wonder they don't want people looking into it. But then it fulfills a lot of functions and bringing the population down will no doubt be one of them, apart from many other effects as well. Quite something. Now I also got the full text of the fluoridation of water, the hearings that went before the Committee on Interstate and Foreign Commerce, House of Representatives, the 83rd Congress, Second session on HR 2341, a bill to protect public health from the dangers of fluorination of water, and that was from May the 25th, 26th, and 27th, 1954. It's quite staggering what came out at that, that hearing. Staggering. And I'll put this link up as well for you. You have to download it, it's quite a big one. Uh, but um, it's fascinating to read through it. Just keep scrolling down till you come to all the different side effects and so on, what it causes to the people. Absolutely fascinating. And it's imperative that you, you know it. What's really going on. And I read up an article about a week ago on the new barcodes and how they've updated all of them. And here's another article about it. It's from Time Knots. That's Mark Bard's website. July the 28th, 2009. It says, radio frequency identification tags are not fully catching on thanks to objections from Alan Watt, Catherine Albrecht, and others who've been hammering away for years at RFID's threats to privacy and civil liberties. For global corporations and the U.S. Department of Homeland Security, who remain eager to track individuals, that means it's time to shift their efforts back to barcodes. MIT scientists last week said they've overcome the barcode's strongest privacy protections, its close read range and fussy need-to-be-scanned line of sight. Now using, using a camera and a mobile phone, a spy or a hacker will be able to scan the barcode label on any object or person at an angle and up to 60 feet away. I'd say more, actually. The MIT scientists are working with grants from Nokia, Samsung, and the Alfred P. Sloan Foundation, named for its founder, the ruthless auto industry chief that one reporter counts among Hitler's car makers. Sloan is also a creator through his strategy of planned obsolescence 
of our modern consumerist culture. Well, we are obsolete. We're disposable too, aren't we? They're saying that at the top. The new barcode labels called BOCODES can be made tiny and imperceptible. Each is about three millimeters in diameter. That is tiny. Here's an excerpt from the BBC. For traditional barcodes, you need to be a foot away from it at most, said Dr. Moan. The team has shown its barcodes can be read from a distance of up to 4 metres, 12 feet, although they should theoretically work up to 20 metres or 60 feet. One way of thinking about it is a long-distance barcode. So, it's really, you know, everything is on one heck of a roll, a heck of a roll, to total tracking and tracing uh, of all people, all humans, all individuals, wherever we go. Wherever we go, one day someone will stop you, a goon will stop you, and ask why this particular jacket is owned by so-and-so and your pants are owned by someone else. Because you bought the jacket, or maybe you borrowed the jacket from, from someone in your apartment building. That will come. That will come. I'll tell you what else will come in the days of rationing as well. And it's no coincidence that they've got fridges that can literally read all the labels of the stuff you put in there and contact the contact the grocery store. Well, guess who else will have a list? And one day when this rationing is undergo, you're, you're going to get house raids to see if you only have the food that you bought. And if they find an extra can of beans there that ain't on their list there, it hasn't been barcoded under you, they'll want to know who gave it to you. Or are you doing some, some black market stuff? Is that where you got it, and where'd you get it from? I'm not kidding. Because if people cannot see, they're going into a completely totalitarian system. Then there's no point talking to such people. They've they've never been here to be lost. They've never risen far enough to be gone. They've never been here at all. Because the signs are all around us. Completely all around us. And this other article I want to read tonight is about this farce, this must-be scenario that was dreamed up by the Club of Rome to blame man as the enemy of the planet and global, global warming would fit the bill, they said, back in the 70s. So they made this incredible mantra, global warming, global warming, and they kept showing you movies uh, with pollution everywhere, just smoke everywhere, Hollywood smoke, of course. And... There's a good movie you should try and get a hold of. To show you how, see, predictive programming depends on you gradually being downloaded, mainly with fiction, over many, many years of ideas that even, you can't even remember the main movies, but the little messages in there uh, are implanted in your mind. Then the real thing comes along, and it seems kind of natural to you. It's familiar. It's because you've been getting loaded with these movies all through nature shows and, and so on your whole life long. Predictive programming, they call it. Getting you ready, preparing the field before planting. Only they plant as well. And this movie was called Zero Population Growth, made in 1971. And it's up on YouTube. I'll I'll put the link up on my website at the end of the show. Fascinating to see this, 1971. And it's got all the politically correct terms now, sustainable development and so on. You know, overpopulation, rationing, um, 
you can't have a child. They'd actually ban at one point, ban any more children for 20 years. Although, of course, the selective being for special people high up in government stuff. So, I'll put that one up. Well worth looking at, just to show you how far back the preparation for our minds has been going on. And then, of course, we had Soil and Green that came out just before it, I think. It was really called Make Room, Make Room, to get that message across as well, along with the rationing. And everyone's stuck in these overcrowded cities, not allowed out of them. That was there too. And a world corporation running everything, all power, all energy, and food, which just happened to be in Soil and Green, reconstituted people. That was your Soil and Green. So, that's what we're dealing with today. It's an article, very important one, Times Archive. It was uh, 1979, Professor Blunt's Double Life, it says. And, but anyway, uh, this archive goes on to talk about global warming. I think it's this issue, but the means to these ends seem similarly insurmountable. Both routes demand an immediate suspension of human nature. Oh, here, here's the actual whole thing here. Blunt warnings about greens under the bed. This was actually July 24, 2009. Another article was another one. Once the lure of communism seduced the idealistic, today's environmental ideologues risk becoming just as dangerous. Britain is thankfully an ideologically barren land. The split between right and left is no longer ideological, but tribal. Are you a nice social liberal who believes in markets, or a nasty social liberal who believes in markets? Anthony Blunt's memoirs published this week reveal a different age, one in which fascism and communism are locked in a seemingly definitive battle for souls. Blunt talks of the religious quality of enthusiasm for the left among the students of Cambridge. That was during the Cold War. There's only one ideology in today's developed world that exercises a similar grip. If Blunt were young today, he would not be red, he would be green. Blunt was a spy, you see, for the communists. His band of angry young men would find, Al- would find Gore where they once found Marx. Blunt evokes a febrile atmosphere in which each student felt his own decision had the power to shape the future, where once they raged about the fleecing of the proletariat and quaked the march of fascism, Blunt and his circle transposed today's college bar would rage about the fleecing of the planet and quake at the imminent destruction of it. If you squint, red and green look disarmingly similar. Both identify an end utopia that is difficult to dispute. The diktat from each according to his ability to each according to his means sounds lovely on paper. Greens promise a world in which we actually survive a coming ecological apocalypse, a desirable outcome undoubtedly. Then he goes on to say, but the means to these ends seem similarly insurmountable. Both routes demand an immediate suspension of human nature. Ideologies often credit man with either more nobility or more venality than he deserves. In reality, he's a mundane creature. He wants a home for himself and those he loves stocked with food. And he wants to have the right to control his own destiny, own his own stuff, and to acquire more if he can without interference or fear of imminent death. Such low-level acquisitive desires support high concepts, property rights, and the rule of law. 
without which there would be no foundation for democracy. That's why they're taxing everybody out of the ground with their property. My desire to live a free, mundane life is a fundamental cog in our messy, glorious, capitalist democracy. It's built on millions of such small, entrenched positions, red-filtered. My desires are despicable and bourgeois and must be beaten out of me with indoctrination or force. Green-filtered, my small desire, my desires are despicable acts of ecological vandalism. My house is a carbon factory. My desire to travel, to own stuff, to eat meat, to procreate, to heat my house, to shower for a really, really long time are all evil. The world evil is used advisedly. Advisedly. Both the green and red positions are infused with overpowering religiosity. Dissenters from the consensus are shunned apostates. Professor Ian Pilmer, the Australian geologist and climate change skeptic, could not find a publisher for his book Heaven and Earth, which questions the orthodoxy about global warming. He's the subject of hate mail and demonstrations. It is entirely immaterial whether he's right or wrong. An environment that stifles his right to a voice is worse than one that is overheating. He then the truth. Even within the convinced camp, dissent from certain party lines is frowned upon. Nuclear power is the cheapest, greenest alternative to fossil fuels that we possess. It is anathema to advocate its proliferation at the expense of wind and sun. Plans of nuclear are the Trotskys of the movement, subject to batterings by verbal ice pick. That's how Trotsky died, of course. Back with more after this break. through the matrix, reading an article from Times Online to do with the new religion, the greening agenda. And it is a religion. Remember, remember it was Gorbachev said that too. He says, we are creating a religion of the future. It must be based on a kind of earth-type worship, earth worship. That's what's been indoctrinated into children right now to make them good little green fascial Nazis, basically. He says here, the great ecological time bomb is population growth. By 2050, the United Nations demographers, we know all about them too because they're always hyping statistics that never prove to be true. Demographers expect the world's population to reach 9.2 billion. Even though all the other reports are expecting a dramatic decrease by 2050. That's from NATO and so on. Compared with 6.8 billion today, that's 2.4 billion extra carbon footprints. What is a carbon footprint? Half measures seem futile. We all hope for some new technology to rescue us. But what if it never materializes? The logical position is to be a cheerleader for swine flu, but not in my backyard. Do we have to pray for swine flu to ravage foreign children to save our own from frying in the future? We're at the early stage of the green movements, a time akin to pre-Bolshevik socialism, when all believed in the destruction of capitalist system, but we're still relatively moderate about the means of getting there. We're at the stage of naive dreamers and fanaticists. Russia was home to the late 19th century Narodnik movements in which rich sons of the aristocracy headed into the countryside to tell peasants it was their moral imperative to become a revolutionary class. They retreated baffled to the riches when the patronized peasants didn't want to revolt. Zach Goldsmith and Prince Charles looked like modern Narod-
historical determinism. We, the peasants, are failing to rise up and embrace the need to change. We will not choose to give up modern life with all its polluting seductions. Our intransigent refusal to choose green will be met by a new military or militancy from those who believe we must be saved from ourselves. Ultra-green states cannot arise without some of forced switch to autocracy, the dictatorship of the environmentalists. Ain't that the truth that's coming? The old two-cow analogy is a useful one. You've got two cows, the communists steal both your cows and, you, and may give you some milk if you're not bourgeois scum. The fascists let you keep the cows but seizes the milk and sells it back to you. Today's green says you can keep the cows but should choose to give them up as their methane-rich farts will unleash hell at some unspecified point in the future. You say, sod it, I'll keep my cows, thanks. Tomorrow's green, the Bolshevik green shoots the cows and makes you forage for nuts. And that'll be the truth as well. The choices between ecological meltdown or a more immediate curtailment of our freedom, where do those of us who are neither red nor green but are recalcitrant grey turn back to those small desires and a blinkered hope that the choice never becomes so stark? If it does... I'll take my chances with Armageddon. Well said. Well said. Because it's true, it's a religious movement that was created from the top down, again, the very rich men who own the world. The Gores and all these boys and the foundations who back them. And they've made it into a true religion based on a form of earth worship. And man is the problem. Man's the problem, as the Club of Rome said. Just to blame man. And they have done it very successfully. And now the witch hunts have to start because they want to reduce the population of the planet. Well, from Hamish, myself, and Ontario, Canada, where it never stops raining anymore because of all the spraying in the skies, it's good night. And may your God or your gods go with you.